Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the So I Married a Horror Fan podcast. Um, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Simon, aka Bob Skeleton, <laughs> and joining me as ever is my lovely wife. Hi, I'm Lee. So, um, today's episode, we are going to be covering the hidden gem, uh, Devil, from 2010, produced by M. Night Shyamalan as part of his uh, Night Chronicles series. So this is M. Night Shyamalan post um, Avatar and post, well, The Last Airbender and post The Happening, when he was kind of taking a bit of a break from directing. And he had this idea to kind of produce um, a trilogy of smaller horror films that he would just kind of put his name to. Um, called The Night Chronicles. This was the first film in that intended trilogy. As you can tell, we're a decade later and it remains the only feature in The Night Chronicles. <laughs> so you can tell it was a successful endeavour. Um, so right off the bat, before we go into kind of your thoughts and your general sort of feelings on the film, mm-hmm. um, I think that at the time this film was released, coming off of the back of The Last Airbender and The Happening... I think having his name attached to this film really hurt the film because a lot of people were going in expecting a Shyamalan film because his name was on the posters. And I think at that time, his his like, his like star was on the wane. This was like five years before he came back and did Split or four years before he did Split. And that kind of put him back in the, the kind of cultural sort of uh, zone again where people thought you know oh god Shyamalan's back he was producing The Visit he did like Split he did Glass um, <coughs> so kind of let's let's talk a little bit about your kind of feelings towards Shyamalan in, and does this feel like a Shyamalan film without being one to you? So I think I've only ever seen two Shyamalan's movies Shyamalan Ding Dong Shyamalan Ding Dong's movies because I've seen I think it's him, is it the Killer Hay Fever movie? Yeah, The Happening. That's the the Happening. And I've seen the god-awful Last Airbender movie, which is a crime against basically anyone who's ever watched anime in their life, regardless of whether they <laughs> like Avatar or not. In fact, anyone who's seen a TV show. Dude, I'm, I'm not even joking. I'm, the summer before this movie came out, I was at Comic-Con in San Diego, and there were people petitioning to have the movie shut down for cultural appropriation and whiteface. It is so dreadful. So I didn't watch Avatar The Last Airbender as an anime. Like, I've never seen... I think I've seen, like, the odd episode because I grew up in the period when it was on... uh, I think it was on Fox or Nickelodeon over in the UK. Um, And it was on constantly. But it was a long time before I really got properly into anime and it's a long show to watch now. Um... So I've never really seen it, but I went and saw the movie purely because Jackson Rathbone was in it, who, for anyone who doesn't know, is Jasper from she's, Twilight. Um, she's, she, she, I feel like every episode there's going to be like a thirsty... There's going to be a thirst <laughs> moment. So, no, he's, he's Jasper from Twilight, who I'm not a big Twilight fan, but Jasper is my favourite character in the books and the films. And also, I really like Jackson Rathbone as an actor and a singer. So I figured I'd go watch it. And I've not even seen the anime, but I think I was more disappointed watching Avatar The Last Airbender than I was in watching, what, last year's Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> like, that's how bad it is. It was worse <laughs> than the completely dreadful Ghost in the Shell that they pulled, 
pour um, Takeshi Kitano into. Yeah. Um, so they're like the only two Shyamalan movies I've ever seen. Is that his name, Shyamalan? M. Night Shyamalan. So you've never seen... So just quick roll call. You've never seen Signs. Oh, I have. I have seen Signs. Never seen I've The Village. I fell asleep. I've never seen The Village. Never seen Sixth Sense. No. And you've not seen Split or Glass or Unbreakable. No. And no. Okay. no. I, I, see, I, I have vague recollections of seeing Signs, but I think I fell asleep. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It bored me so much. It's a lot like... Um, there's very few movies that have ever actually put me to sleep. I think it's that. <coughs> and there was the... There's, oh, there's a Stephen King adaptation... Dreamcatcher. Uh, Dreamcatcher. That put me to sleep. And the number 23 as well. Because I watched both Dreamcatcher and the number 23 on a flight. I think I may have been flying to like the States or to Mexico or something. And I watched both of them. I fell asleep. <laughs> How bad they were. So when we, we've literally just finished watching this film. We have indeed. Um, so did, did this feel like a Shyamalan film to you? Did it feel like it? Could you feel his influence on uh-huh. it? I'm gonna say no, purely from what I know about Shyamalan movies and the fact that basically his twists are always quite disappointing. This one has a doozy though. This, this the twist in this movie punched me in the face, and we'll <laughs> talk about that because my my entire notes for this entire film were me just trying to figure out what was happening, and then the ending hit, and I was like, I didn't see that coming. So, <laughs> before we dive into it, do you want to kind of? So, let people know what the story of the film is and kind of set the set the, the, the scene for, for what this movie is. Okay, so the I love how you keep coming to me to like kind of <laughs> tell you what the movie's about. So basically the entire film is it's don't get in an elevator. It's much like yesterday, don't get married. Or so yesterday that's the last episode, don't get married, don't get in an elevator. I feel like I'm gonna learn really important life lessons from watching these movies. But um so basically it is a story of it's based on what I think is actually like a uh, an old wives tale in actual fact and it's that the devil will come to earth and he will punish sinners before he sends them on to hell and that is the entire it's quite a claustrophobic it's a very he basically will it's four people and himself um, and then they get basically tortured psychologically and it's happened before and it's like a a thing that happens I want to say kind of regularly but I'm assuming not like massively regularly otherwise the entire human race would be aware of it but it is kind of like it's based on an old wives tale basically yes the known as the devil's meeting the devil's meeting thank you I'd completely forgot what it was called but so there is there's not a lot of characters in it no I think we we've got eight main characters we've got nine we've got the five people in the lift the two security guards and the two police officers yeah so you have basically there is i wouldn't even say the two police officers because the second police officer doesn't really do a lot he's what? just his partner um, your boy your boy markowitz markowitz yeah markowitz doesn't really do a lot so there's the two police officers there's markowitz and Bowden. played by chris messina last seen in birds of prey yeah, and then you have the five people in the list who are, you You do learn their names through the movies, but they're kind of secondary information. Like, they're not yeah. massively important it's... parts of information in the film. Yeah. And we'll come back to why that's a thing later. But you have, so there's the old woman, the young woman, the guard, the salesman, and the mechanic. Yeah, 
who's played by not Tom Hardy. <laughs> Logan Marshall Green. Yeah. <laughs> not Tom- oh, there was a few times in the movie I was looking at where I was like, he does look like Tom Hardy. And then you have the two security guards. So you've got Ram- Ramirez and Lustig, who are the two security guards in that office building this is set in. And then you have Dwight as well, who is the repairman. Yeah. Who is like the... And Ramirez is the guy who's narrating the yeah, story. Yeah, Ramirez well. narr- narrates the story as well as being on the security guards. And he's the one who opens the entire film telling you the story his mother told him about the Devil's Meeting. Um, so it's quite a small cast. I mean, there are other people that pop up and in and out of the movie, but that's like the main cast of the movie. And they're the ones you kind of get to know and see repeatedly throughout the film. Um, and I quite like that because it was... I nicknamed all of them in my notes. So there was um, White Girl, which is a young woman, uh, Old Lady, Security Guard, Asshole, who is uh, the salesman, salesman, and then Hoodie, who's the mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> That's who they are in my notes because I didn't know what their call signs were yeah. <laughs> when we were watching it. So I just kind of made a note of what was distinctive about them when we first met them. Um, but yeah, it's a small cast and it was, so it wasn't directed by Shyamalan, it was directed by John Eric Dowdle? Dowdle, yeah. Is that right? Who I'd never heard of and he's done zero films that I've ever done. He did As Above, So Below and Quarantine. Oh, okay. So Quarantine is the English language remake of Wreck, the Spanish film. Yes. And As Above and So Below is the French catacombs movie, which is a found footage job. I don't know. I don't know a lot about that movie. I know I know a few people who were super into the idea of it when it came out, but I've never seen it, so I don't really... I can't. I was getting mixed up with the other one that's got pink in it. Oh, The Ruins. Yeah. Also, interesting fact, the poster of so, As Above, So Below obviously has France upside, upside down. down. And this movie, because it centres around the devil, starts with everything flipped. So yeah, so the entire... Like... It's an overshot of what I assume is New York? No, it's Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Is it, oh, yeah, we, he mentions the Ravens, doesn't he? The he, Ravens? The, the Eagles. Eagles. And he establishes later that he's Philadelphia Police Department. Yeah, so he... Because um... we thought it was New York to begin with, didn't we? Yeah. Because we couldn't figure out where the bridge was. Yeah, and it, so it opens... The entire shot is Philadelphia, but the whole panning shot of Philadelphia into the building it all happens in is upside down. Which really, I feel like, sets a kind of tone for this movie because it's very disorientating seeing a city from that angle. Mm. And the way it's shot, it, go, it kind of... It pans over most of Philadelphia, the main, like the, the capital part of Philadelphia. I'm sure I don't know how big American places are, but I'm assuming it's not all of Philadelphia. Yeah. And then the only time the camera kind of turns into a, like, a normal direction before it pans into the building is when it pans over a church. Yeah. And it kind of, the camera moves over the top of the church and kind of writes itself to the correct way around. So kind of the religious connotation of the church being good. Like the holy place. The holy place. Um, but yeah, the, the, the opening shot really, it put me a little bit like... And the music as well, man. Yeah, the music's it, really like The entire opening of the movie is really disorientating, which I quite liked as well because it did put me very much in the mood. For the kind of film that um, we were going to be watching. And it also opens with a Bible verse. Yeah, from Peter 5.8. Because it opens eight. Peter 5.8, which is not an actual... So uh, there's a thing here and it says the opening scripture quotation is listed as Peter 5.8. 
There is no such book in the Bible. It should, in fact, be 1 Peter 5.8. I'm assuming it's the first book of Peter. Oh, my Bible knowledge is very slim on the ground. But I'm assuming it's the first book of Peter. Scripture 5.8. Yeah, I would guess so. And it sounds like, it sounds very doomy. So it sounds like it's probably Old Testament as well. I think the book of... No, because the Old Testament is like Genesis and everything like that the when it becomes the books of peter that's the books of the disciples so that's new testament Testament. okay yeah so i it is very like um what's the word it is very doomsday-ish when you read it 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 pans across your screen and you're like that is uh very very um yeah, doomsday But I'm not in... Yeah, because of the part that it's allegedly referencing, like, I don't know if it's an actual Bible quote. Does that make sense? Because it does seem like it's in the wrong part of the Bible for the phrasing that is used. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I think more than anything, it's just something that's there because it's very quickly followed up by the first piece of, like, Ramirez's narration where he says about how his mum used to tell him a story about how you know he would come to earth disguised as a person and whenever he would be near um the first sign of him being there would be a suicide and then it pans to a shot of somebody falling out of a building and to their death um yeah just just before we get any further into this um obviously spoilers from this yep. point out as with every episode this will have spoilers um i, um, ca- I feel like if you haven't seen this movie as well as so you probably shouldn't listen to this because we're going to reveal what the twist is. Yeah. Um, so spoilers for a decade old film, but but I do feel if you like if you don't know what the twist is, I mm. like and you're listening to this, I wouldn't because I feel like knowing the twist would really yeah lower the excitement of this movie a little bit. Yeah, and I think as well because I saw this movie for the first time a decade ago when it mm-hmm. came out. I rented it from Blockbuster when they were a thing and didn't really know a great deal about it. Um, but I think having that knowledge of the thing, like a lot of Shyamalan films or films that he's associated with, um, it does harm the rewatchability because of what happens in the film and in certain scenes. It lowers the stakes on your rewatchability because you know who is doing what and, and, and things like that. But there was something interesting that I wanted to bring up. And I don't know if you noticed it, so I'm hoping you did, but you may not have done. Did you notice the use of the colour red in the film? Yes. So I know you mentioned it while watching it. There's like a glimpse of red on the old woman that disappeared later. And there was a few shots that were very lit in a red Mm. light. But what I mean is every single person as you see them and then when they go in the elevator is connected by the colour red. Yes. So young woman's nails are red. Um, mechanics bag, bag is, is red. red. The security guard has red on his uniform. Mm-hmm. The old lady's lips are red, and then the salesman's tie is red. Yes. But if you notice as well, any time somebody comes near the lift or is integral to the plot of the story, the colour red shows up. So the firemen in the red fire suit, they have red fire suits with red helmets. They have the red fire trucks. The tool that they're using to cut into the wall is red. There's a sequence when they're in the um, security guard's office where the wall on the left side 
looks like it's got blood coming down it. So it's where the paint is. There's a big gap of white wall with red on it. Um, and also when Dwight is going down the mine shaft to fix the elevator, the uh, cords that he's got wrapped around him is red as well. So all of, and then towards the end, you see a red exit sign lit up. So all of, basically anything connected to, and Bowden, when he pulls out the ticket um, and shows it's it, red, yeah. it's got red lettering on it. So red, I think red is subliminal because we associate the colour red with the devil because in a lot of depictions, like especially in cartoons, the devil is depicted as being red, hell is red. So it kind of, the significance of the colour red I thought was really interesting. I didn't even, I was so focused on trying to figure out who the devil was that I just <laughs> didn't, I was like, my brain was so one mind focused on like, who the hell is the devil? <laughs> like who, <laughs> who in this list lived us causing so much trouble? And so, I literally, I probably missed a lot of little yeah. bits and pieces. Before we get, so before we get too far into it, same I'll ask you the same things that I'll, I'll ask you on every episode. Okay. So what are your initial thoughts on the film? How did it work for you as a horror film? And is it something that you could recommend to someone who isn't good with horror? So I actually really enjoyed it, which is two in a row now. <laughs> I feel like this is going to go downhill quite quickly that we're going to end up finding one I really don't like. Um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Uh as a horror movie see the thing is I know it's billed as a horror movie it is a horror movie but it was more like a psychological I don't want to say well it's like not even a thriller but it, it was a psycho psychological horror mm. is the only thing it really falls under um, which I don't tend to class as horror movies because I quite like a psychological movie as we yeah. spoke about last time um, and I I I would recommend it if you enjoy I don't want to say slower movies because quite a lot of stuff is packed. It's very short. It's 80 minutes. It's not a long movie. And quite a lot of it is packed and it happens quite quickly, but it's... Yeah, there's no flab in it at all. No, but if you're going into it looking for some, like, cool kills or, like, some really dramatic things to go down, I wouldn't watch it. And if you suffer from claustrophobia... I would not watch this movie because the the shooting of the film, let alone it's mostly set inside a lift, which is obviously quite a small space anyway. But the way the lift is shot is very claustrophobic. Uh, that's elevator. For uh, elevator audiences. for any American <laughs> listeners. Uh, sorry, um, but it is very very claustrophobic because they shoot inside the lift itself. Mm. So you are whenever they're shooting another character, you are stood in the area that one of the other characters would be stood in. And it is, it's quite, and I'm, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. Like I'm not massively, I can get in a lift, but I don't particularly enjoy it. And like, I was a little bit like, oh, this is quite crushing. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it if you have claustrophobia in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I think that really adds to the tension of the film. Oh, 100%. Um, because obviously you've got these five people that are trapped essentially trapped in a situation and I think there's a lot of films where it takes place in one place where people are either trapped in a building or they're trapped on a boat or something like that where something like this happens and you kind of it, it builds the tension because you know as an audience like first first off it preys on your own fears if you're claustrophobic or if you know everybody has that kind of fear of getting in an elevator i think or a lift and you know it breaking down and you being stuck with people that you don't know but i think also the fact that 
it creates a lot of distrust, a lot of paranoia, and the actual like it. The film is scary without ever like reverting to like supernatural. It's very grounded in realism and very grounded yeah, it, in real human fears, like fears of other people, fears of being in, in enclosed spaces, um, trust, you know, paranoia, all of those things. And I think the execution of the actual main part of the story is really, really well done. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like it to say it is a movie that's based around the devil's meeting and like the idea of like the devil punishing you for your sins they don't rely much on supernatural occurrences at all like it is very it's the it's purely done by the distrust sown amongst people and it's something that i mean it probably wouldn't get that out of hand but i could quite imagine getting trapped in a lift with people i don't know and like something happening and the level of distrust that would immediately like you don't know these people you don't know what they're capable of and it is very grounded in like if um so obviously the the one of the young girls like the, the young girl the first thing that really happens is she gets what looks like a bite on her back and it could have been done by a weapon but like it's not very clear and like if something like that happened if i was in a lift with four people i didn't know and that happened to somebody i would immediately be like somebody get me out of here and i would probably get quite aggressive because that means somebody in that lift is violent and they've hurt somebody else. So it does very much play on like a real, real world, real world fear of being trapped with people you don't know without really re- reverting to using like traditional supernatural. Mm. I think the only time it's really used as a supernatural is at one point you see a flash of a face on the video cameras that the security guards are watching. And then in another scene, you see a flash and it looks like there's somebody stood in the background in where yeah. the mirror has broken. And it looks like there's somebody there, but you don't really get a clear glimpse of who it is. And it, but it could, with something like that, it could very easily be something that would happen in the real world of your mind playing trips on you. Like you're stuck in an elevator, the lights are flickering, somebody's been hurt. And like that could very well, like it'd just be your brain playing tricks. Like there's somebody else here, like somebody else attacking us. Especially if everybody is denying having anything to do with the attack. And that's a really good thing that the filmmakers do to kind of put you in the situation that the uh, characters are in. Because it uses the tricks of cutting the lights out. So, you know, as an audience, every time the lights go out, some, there's a sense of danger. You know, the jump scare of something in the mirror. They, they do a lot to kind of put you in the middle of that situation and create unease in the audience as well as the people that are in the film as well. Um, and I think the other re- good thing that I really appreciated, and I'm not entirely sure that if the movie had been made by Shyamalan, he would have been as subtle, but I really, really appreciate the fact that the filmmaker didn't show the devil. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't... like. They he, don't revert to the cheap scare of, of showing. Oh, this is what he looks like. You know, yeah. they they show like the. Don't get me wrong. The devil is in this movie. Oh yeah. And you see, you're like you're confronted with the devil at the end, um, but they don't. It's not like they they cut like it's not a CGI devil or they don't use trickery to kind of reveal him in sort of some other kind of cheap way. Yeah. It's very much keeping in line with the rules that the film set up and the world that the film is established in. 
um, which I, d- I really liked as well. Yeah, I do like as well. There's a reference in the movie, um, uh, probably about three quarters of the way through, where um, <laughs> Bowden references uh, a previous occurrence um, with a, a spouse who wanted a divorce and the husband locked them in a room and then murdered three other people before he shot his spouse and then killed himself to try and make it look like it wasn't personal and it's kind of implied that this is potentially another devil's meeting that occurred Mm -hmm. from the way it's kind of worded it said about there being five people and he killed other people first to try and and I was like hmm so it's happened before which I quite liked, and that's I thought that was quite interesting. But I also liked, I, I noticed it a couple of times throughout the movie, and I did look this up. So there is, in the place, there's a few places that get mentioned, or uh, companies that get mentioned. So the first one you hit is um, the truck that the guy slams into when he kills himself is for Bethel Bread. Bethel is a place in the Bible, I believe, or it's a place actually in Jerusalem. Um, or it's in the Bible, sorry, and um, it's actually a holy place where the Hebrews first meet God, or first meet Jesus, God, first meet God. My Bible knowledge is slim, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was quite cool that they managed to fit that in. And then they, you also have um, Trinity Service Station, see for the Holy Trinity, and then you get Locust Street and um, Beth- Beth- Bethlehem, Bethlehem. I think they refer to it as in the movie Bethlehem Pike. Yeah. Which is Bethlehem, yeah. is in the city. And obviously as well, the building that they're in is building 333, which is obviously yeah, half of 666. <laughs> yeah, a number divisible. A number divisible for 666, yeah. which I thought was quite cool. Um, that they managed to fit in like quite a few little nods to like biblical places in a movie that is... Religious, it's about religion and the belief in the devil, really, isn't it? Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot that goes down. Yeah, like, it's a really, <laughs> like, it's a, it's one of the movies where you are on the edge of your seat the whole time. But it's because it gives you so much information. Like, it's like, boom, boom. It Like, it does a really good job of not giving you a lot of information but also giving you a lot of information like you don't know who these people are you don't know why they've been brought together and it it is to begin with a seemingly random assortment of people but then you start finding out like who they really are and how they're all connected and the way that it brings the everybody together is so genius like the security guard works for the security firm owned by the husband of the younger woman that we find out is trying to fleece her husband and maybe run away from him. And then we find out that like the salesman ripped off a bunch of people. So there's potentially people in there that he's like ripped off. And you find out that the security guard has a criminal past. You find out that the old lady is a grifter. And then the biggest revelation is obviously what happens later on when you find out about the mechanics yes. like Tony, what, so you, why he's there. You kind of find out throughout the film, obviously, the devil is punishing sinners. You you watch the movie, you see all of their, their sins play, like before you. So, like you said, um, the security guard who we find out in the movie is called um, Ben. Mm-hmm. Ben Larson. He has a violent past. He beat a guy into a coma. 
he's just all round not a great guy. Um, and then we find out, so the office worker or asshole, as I wrote him down as, or salesman, <laughs> I think he's credited as, he, his name is Vince McCormick. Mm-hmm. And he ran a Ponzi scheme that basically ruined a lot of people's lives. Uh, the old lady who we find out in the movie is called Jane. I can't remember what her surname is, but her name is Jane. And she, we see her on security footage stealing people's purses. Um, yeah, that comes into play later on because when she's murdered, all of the purses of the are purses scattered across the back. floor. Yeah, they all yeah, and then white girl or uh, Sarah, as she's actually called, or young girl, as she's billed as, <laughs> um, yeah. is trying to. I think she's planning to divorce her husband, but she has a lawyer currently looking into his financial. He's a like he's a financial lawyer. Yeah. Um, and he's looking into basically what money she can steal and run away with before she files for divorce. Yeah, because she basically you find out that she has a history of like blackmailing men. Black, blackmailing rich people, money. and then she married into she married the heir to quite a, a big family a big fortune, from the sounds yeah. of it. And then finally, we have Hoodie, who is called Tony, and I'm going to tell. Like, I feel like. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what the, the, the his sin is. We'll just, we're just I'm just going to dive into it now. Well, you so mean, not yeah. completely, but so basically he he is a murderer. He he's killed somebody before. Yeah. We'll just say that. Yeah. Um. So they all you see all of these different sins, and then you like my brain throughout the entire movie. You see all of these sins laid out before you, and you're trying to figure out like who are the actual sinners, what are the sins they've committed, and obviously you don't find out Tony's sin until the very very. It's one of the two twists in the movie. Yeah, end of the film, pretty much. It's like in the last five minutes of the movie, you find out what he actually did. And yeah, but it all kind of kicks off with... um, What's his name? The salesman. So he... Oh, he starts out with Sarah. So she gets bitten. And then the next to suffer any sort of damage... In this is Vince, who takes quite a uh, sharp bit of mirror yeah. to the neck. To the neck. To the neck. And then poor Dwight, our service worker, who's trying to fix the elevator <coughs> to get them all out, uh, falls to his death down the elevator shaft. Poor, poor yeah, Dwight. Um, next after that, it is Jane. Who is hung in the elevator? Yeah, they they hang her with one of the light cords. One of the light cords after Dwight is hit. Well, I don't think you pull it out because when Dwight hits the hits the top of the elevator after falling, makes one of them loose. Loads of the lights fall out of Mm. the thing from the pressure, I guess. Uh, Then Jane gets hung. Yeah. And then after that, it is Ben. Is it Ben or is it the security? um, The Guard who's watching it happen. Oh yeah, the, he he gets electrocuted. He gets electrocuted to death. Ben gets his neck snapped. Yeah. And then you're left with Sarah and Tony. Tony. <clears throat> As Sarah gets her neck slit open. Yeah, she gets stabbed in the neck. And Tony is our final girl. <laughs> yeah. But I feel so when you were watching this, what what kind of things were you looking out for? 
so, so like how did you come to so who, who did you originally think it was i, I thought it was tony and so it, to begin with i thought it was sarah mm. uh, and especially after ben died i thought it was sarah and then when it was down to sarah and tony i was like oh crap because at this point we hadn't found out what tony's sin was so i kind of had gone well it's got to be tony because he's the only one who hasn't committed yeah sin. A terrible act so I thought it was Sarah up until I changed my mind at the last possible moment. And I was like, no, it's got to be Tony. He's the only one who's sin we haven't found out. Mm. So I was shocked when it all hit the fan because I, I was convinced it was Tony. Yeah. And one, I think we need to, before we go any further, we need to address. So Bowden, the police officer, we know that he is... A recovering alcoholic. He's a recovering alcoholic. First time we meet him at the beginning of the film, he's having breakfast with his sponsor He's been 90 days sober. Yes. And we find out shortly after that that five years ago, his, his wife, wife and, son. and son were killed in a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says this later when he's talking to Ramirez because Ramirez is trying to explain to him about the devil's meeting. And he produces a car wash coupon that says on the back of it, I'm so, I'm sorry. so sorry. And he <laughs> says, you know, it, my, my wife and child were killed. But it's okay because this person is sorry. He says, I don't believe in the devil because people are bad enough. Yeah, we don't need the devil. People yeah. are evil as it is. Um, so that's kind of an ongoing subplot as well. Yeah, is... and because he talked about as well um, when things are coming to a head between Ben, Sarah and Tony in the elevator. He tells, he's trying to talk them off of the ledge. Oh, no, it's between Ben and Sarah. Isn't yeah. it? No, um, Tony and Sarah. He's trying to talk Tony and Sarah down as they've both got pieces of glass that they they're threatening each other with um and they're the last two surviving members in the elevator at the time and um he basically explains to them that he checked himself into a hotel and nearly drank himself to death six months previously um and it's based him basically trying to reason with them in a way and yeah, say he's like trying to get people them to have done it. bad things bad things happen to people but you can you can survive those bad things happening and you can make your life better. Yeah, he's basically trying to get them to turn the mirror in on each other and say, look, you have to own who you are. You have to own the things that you've done and it's the only way like, you're going to live or survive like this Which ordeal. Which I think is really interesting when you come to the end of the movie and how that plays into it as well. Um, so I'm going to talk about the end of the film now because I kind of need to... To, to discuss what I want to talk yeah. about with that happening. So basically, it's the end of the movie and you find out that Tony is, in fact, the car driver who killed his... Killed... Um, Bowden's wife. Bowden's and wife son. and son. And uh, the devil is confronting him and is, by the looks of it, quite looking forward to, to torturing him who, and taking his Who is the son. devil? The devil is that old lady, which I was so surprised at because she died. I was like, what? Yeah, man, that that is like, when you see it, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, but the thing is as well, is I'm not sure if she's actually the old lady. Does that make sense? Mm. So like, or if the devil is just possessing her body, that's not really explained if the old lady did, did actually die, but she's not there at the end. So I'm assuming yeah, he, she was the devil the whole long. He hocus pocus his ass out of there. He yeah. hocus pocus his ass out of there. But you find out that um, Tony had killed Bowden's wife and son and the devil basically is getting quite excited to punish him, black eyed and evil. And he uses 
I think... Uh, he uses a CP radio. A CP radio. Yeah. And he's basically announcing to all the police officers listening and the security guards, like, I did it. I killed two people off Belthelm Way. Um, I'm really sorry. Like, I ran away and I shouldn't have. I was so scared and I'm so sorry. Like, please forgive me. And that's him owning his deeds and what he did. And I think that's really interesting when you look back to what Bowden says earlier in the movie about yeah, owning who you are. He's basically confessing to him, isn't he? Yeah, he's confessing the, to what he did and, and asking for forgiveness. Which also plays into the biblical aspect of the movie of God being the great forgiver. And if you are willing to admit your sins and ask for forgiveness, then God will forgive you. Mm. And you will not go to hell. <laughs> and uh, Satan even said, the devil even says, he's like, I was really looking forward to punishing you mm. before he hocus pocuses himself out of there. Um, but no, it plays in quite nicely to what Bowden says. I didn't think about it when I was watching the movie. It was only when you mentioned it there that, that Tony's admission of guilt at the end and him saying like he's sorry for what he did and he never meant to hurt anybody does play into what Bowden says about owning yourself and being truthful about who you are and what you've done and also at the end of the movie you see Bowden taking Tony to the police station and he forgives mm. Tony he says like I was I've been planning for the last five years of what I would do and what I would say and I forgive you which I think is quite a beautiful moment and then the, the voiceover at the end also says about um taking taking faith in that if the devil does in fact exist there's also a god which I think is a quite nice end to the movie and seeing that forgiveness, which is basically a one escape of hell is if you are willing to admit to what you've done and ask for forgiveness for your sins. So my question based on that <coughs> is, do you think Bowden is God? See, like, that was the thing. My brain was a little bit like, I mean, it's like a little bit heavy-handed if he is. I don't think he is. I think it... I think it's the idea that he is a good person and he's yeah. willing to forgive evil, which is something God would do and something who is a good person and a religious person and somebody who is very anti what what Satan stands for and what the devil stands for. So I don't think he's saying that, that Bowden is God, <laughs> which would be a really weird plot twist. I think it is just more the idea of him being the opposite of what the character who is the devil represents is he is forgiving and he is he accepts that they are that Tony is guilty of what he's done but he's willing to forgive him for what he did which is again a very a very godlike yeah. coming to terms with what happened but yeah no it was that that ending punched me in the face because I didn't see it coming like I assumed somebody in the lift did have something to do with uh, the death of Bowden's wife yeah it wasn't just a coincidence that he was the police officer that was called yeah, and this is what the because this is what Ramirez says is everybody who is here is here because they are supposed to be here. Mm. So much like Bowden being there, um, Ramirez because he believes and he knows <clears throat> what is going on. All of the people in the elevator, and then at the very end, Tony's girlfriend shows up, fiance shows up, and the end of the devil's meeting is supposed to end with the final punishment being enacted in front of. The person, person who love loved, the the, yeah, you love the most. Which, when his girlfriend showed up, I was like, "Oh no, Tony!" And then I found out what he did, and I was like, "God damn it, Tony!" 
Um, like, mm, what you say? <laughs> what you say? Um, please, I just sang. I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> um, but no, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie, and it was a very intricate. Like, you really, I spent the entire movie like looking for the tiniest hint of a clue mm. as to who Satan was, and I was like, it's got to be Sarah. She's got red nails, and I was like looking at like <laughs> his hands. So um, Tony's hands, because for part of the movie they've got their hands pressed against the wall. And, like, not to be mean to the actor who plays Tony, but his hands are a little bit creepy looking. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, maybe it's Tony. Like, they look quite, like, creepy hands. <laughs> and like, now I'm like, oh, no, those are just that dude's hands. Like, I'm really sorry. They do a really good job of making you think it's him, though, because the, the, really the really interesting thing about the casting of Logan Marshall Green is if you've never seen him in anything, because obviously he played Trey in the OC, so he was mm -hmm. Ryan's stepbrother or half-brother. Um, is is he not, in fact, the character from the mm, what you yeah, say? So yeah. He is, isn't he? So, and then he obviously, he's in things like, he was in Prometheus, he was in um, Upgrade. So he, he kind of pops up. But the thing is, the thing that, that is interesting about him being, like, one of the final people in the elevator is he does have a quiet intensity to him. Yeah, definitely. He's quite an intense actor. And a lot of what he does in the film is just face stuff. And it's, I don't know if you're intentionally supposed, to, he's purposely meant to be a red herring, but I out of all of so. the others, he there's things that he does with his eyes, there's things that he does with his mouth, because like, and there's like these these moments where he, he's perfectly calm and he's, he's almost like talking through gritted teeth, kind of like in that Tom Hardy kind of low growl that Tom Hardy does when he's mm. trying to be intimidating but then he obviously like snaps and you, you see these moments of intensity from him so I think casting him as that character that ultimately ends up being possibly the most tragic character outside of Bowdoin in the film oh, was exactly. really interesting because you're definitely meant to believe at points that it is him yeah I think he is definitely because he's also the only person you don't find out what their sin is and it's not till the end of the movie when you find out because obviously we we don't know what his name is either like he's the one character that doesn't get a name until the very end of the movie when his fiance shows up and his name is Tony Jane Jane Kowski Jane Kowski and they obviously thought Jane was Jane and then her surname was Kowski but she's not in the book at all yeah. She never signed in. So mm. you spend the entire movie thinking that old woman is Jane, Jane Kowski, and then you get to the end of the film and you find out, out actually, no, he is Tony Janikowski, or Jane mm. Kowski, and the old lady doesn't exist in any but, of the paperwork in the building. Yeah, and I think also by him having the most heinous crime to his name, because the devil says to him at the end, you're not a good person, you're, you're like evil... I think the devil inhabiting someone who he would consider to be evil would be too obvious. And I think that's why the reveal that it's the old lady at the end is so fucking genius. Because she's the one that you least suspect from the beginning. She's like this frail old lady who's got fucking pepper spray that went out of date in the 80s and maybe is oddly racist because she's about to pepper spray the one black character in the, <laughs> in the film. I do like the fact that they kind of, they do vaguely hit on that in the movie and he, like, is the, the security guard who is the only, he is the only black character in the in entire movie. Yeah, you've and got then you've got Ramirez. Ramirez, who's Latino. Who's Latino. Um, 
and he's basically like he's he's like are we gonna do this are you really gonna do that right now and I was like I, I was a little bit like this is exactly how I would expect somebody of that woman's <laughs> age to kind of react yeah sort of like racist old nana like a racist nana yeah and um but it was it was really well done and she, yeah she was she was the one character I kind of didn't expect yeah. I kind of suspected everybody else at that point and especially because she dies, which is a very... It's what I like to call, like, the Saw effect. Yeah. Um, or, like, how every fucker in Saw dies, but then comes back, like, three movies <laughs> Well, later. it's, like, in the first movie. So I've not actually... I, I may have... I think I've saw it, I saw it a very long time ago, and I closed my eyes for most of it, but I remember that ending of the guy getting up and walking out of the room. He's been dead the entire movie. <laughs> and it is. It's like Spoilers for Saw. <laughs> I mean, you had spoiler warning. It's fine. And if you don't know what that ending is by now, what have you been doing with yeah, your life? Because yeah. it's on every YouTube video of like surprise twists in <laughs> movies, shocking horror endings. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it was I wasn't expecting her to be the to be the to be the devil. So let's break this bitch down. Um, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? Would you recommend it? And what's your final rating? Um, what worked for me? I kind of like the setting. I liked that it was very. I like things that are set in one place. Like, it's very, like, a small location. Because it does add that extra, like, tenseness to a movie. It's much like anything. So, like, Maze Runner, again, the first one being set entirely within that, like, little area they have. Um, I do like that about a film. And I like it when it's done well as well. Like that movie, you feel the claustrophobia that the characters feel. It was wonderfully done. Um, what didn't work for me i think some of the some of the religious connotations were a little bit heavy-handed for me like we spoke about the god thing at the end um but that i think as personal preference like i'm not a religious person so anything to do with that kind of it always just feels a little bit heavy-handed and i'm like mm, did you need to really bring god into it i mean i know it's a movie about the devil <laughs> but like I didn't need the implication What's that potentially. To do? I didn't like the potential, like the the kind of implication that potentially Bowden was God. Yeah. And I don't know if it was on purpose or it's just that's accidentally how it's come across. But I think that was a little bit. Yeah. A little bit heavy-handed. Um, what would I rate it? Mm, I think maybe a four. I think I feel like I rated Ready or Not really lowly now looking at this because I'm like this is potentially also a four so I think I might retroactively change my score for Ready or Not to a 4.5 um, but I think this may be a four because it was it, it was an enjoyable movie and it wasn't it hit a lot of boxes for things I enjoyed in a movie like it was very psychological I spent a good chunk of the movie like mentally working out like who potentially was the a lot like I like a, a murder mystery it was a lot like that because it was I spent a lot of movie like trying to work out in my brain who the killer was um so I think a four I think a four I don't know what I'd change about it to make it a five I think it was genuinely just a good movie just not a great movie yeah. But I honestly couldn't, I'm not, I couldn't tell you what they could do to make it great. I just didn't feel like it was great. Yeah. I feel like for me, so I think the thing, I think it's a, it's a very underappreciated film. Like in the horror community, not a lot of people talk about this movie. It's kind of a forgotten gem. Um, and it's one of those movies, now it's on streaming, I'm always hyping it up to people. Because I think it's, it's very effective. It's... 
it's a really quick movie. You can like knock it, it's like 80 minutes. It doesn't take up a great deal of time. It doesn't waste any time. I think for me, that's the best thing about it. That's the thing that works the most for me is the pacing because this movie does not fuck about. It gets those people in that lift within the first five minutes, 10 minutes at max. And then mm. you just, it just goes from like, it ratchets up. It's like a roller coaster. It kind of just keeps ratcheting up and ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up. And that's what I really like about it. I really like the tension. And I really like the fact, like I said um, at the beginning, towards the beginning of the episode, is I really like the fact that it's a movie about the devil, but the devil almost takes a backseat and it plays on real human fears. Yeah, definitely. Like, the minute that the minute that lift stops, my arsehole tightened. I was like, <laughs> "Fuck this!" Because I, I like that's one, some imagery, right? <laughs> one, one, of, one of my biggest fears in life is being trapped in an elevator or being trapped somewhere where I wouldn't be found for a very long time. Um, so, like an elevator, like a closet, like under something, like you know, I have a really weird thing about being trapped yeah. somewhere. So for me. Like, I'd, for, for a lot of the film, before things kick off, I was just on edge because of them being in that lift. And as I say, the minute the lights go out, you know something. And that's one of the most effective things in a film, is you never actually see anybody attack anybody. Mm -hmm. And because the minute the lights go down, you only see the aftermath, which again, creates more paranoia, creates more tension, which really ramps up towards the end of the film. There are a couple of things that I would have changed. Like, there are some supernatural elements in it. Like, I thought that it was really fucking stupid. That, and this is something we haven't addressed, is that the devil kind of creates a force field around the elevator. So nobody can get in it or nobody can get to it until oh, the devil's meeting has ended. Yeah, I because, think I've kind of vaguely forgotten Because, about like, that. Dwight's trying to get down to fix it and he falls down the shaft like the other guy is trying to fix the circuits and he gets electrocuted and like i love the fact you're doing like the little, <laughs> yeah, the little I'm doing um, the air quotes and air nobody, quotes. Can see nobody can see you do that babes. but you know like when the fire brigade show up they can't the, the key doesn't work they can't get it open with a crowbar like nobody yeah, can get into the lift i hadn't really thought about that but yeah you're right actually. so i think that bit's a bit stupid yeah i kind of think though is it, it I get why it's there because you kind of need an excuse for them not oh, getting yeah. to them. But yeah, like it was a little bit because and also like like Bowden keeps referencing, I need to get in the lift. Like I'm gonna be in there in a minute, and at no point do you actually see him try to get in the lift. There's at least three points in that movie where he's talking to them and he says, "Get me in that lift, or I will be in that lift with you in a minute." Like especially towards the end because he knows that he needs to get in there. Yeah. Um, but at no point does he actually try to get in the lift, which I thought was re really yeah. funny. So, like, for me, there's kind of a, a couple of, like, lapses in logic of as much as the movie isn't supernatural, there is obviously a supernatural element to it. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend it. It's a movie that I really, really champion. And I kind of wish that M. Night Shyamalan had followed through on, make, like, producing the other ones. Because over the years, he's been attached... Not as a director, but as like as a creative mind, I think sometimes he gets in his own way. But when he puts his name and his star power 
to something that somebody else is championing. Like I heard he was he was a couple of years ago he was attached to reboot Tales from the Crypt. Um, he produced the visit, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is very good. Um, and that was with Blumhouse. Um, and then I think if he'd worked in that Blumhouse mold with a because this is pre this predates Blumhouse by a year or so, I think before they really became a horror powerhouse. I think he could have got in that game of maybe working with first-time directors to produce horror scripts. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it doesn't hurt having his name on it. It gave the film some more attention that it may not have received. I mean, the movie didn't receive a lot of attention, but it's definitely a movie I would tell people to check out if you want something different, if you want something... It's not overly gory. Like, it's all... All of the gore in this movie is, like, aftermath stuff. Yeah. And it's kind of, like, injury details. It's it's just generic. It's not people being eviscerated or stabbed up. It, it's... it's The gore is very indicative of the situation. And it's very, like, medically accurate to what would happen to people oh, yeah, if definitely. they were in that situation. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm the same with you. Like, I, I would definitely recommend this to people who aren't big horror fans or who are just starting to watch horror movies and maybe are a little bit like me and a complete and utter pansy because <laughs> um, it's not they, they don't rely on jump scares they don't rely on like gratuitous gore it is very psychological and it's a kind of interesting spin on the devil as well like it's I don't think I've ever seen another movie correct me if I'm wrong I've never seen another movie with a devil's meeting in it or where the devil has been presented this way yeah no generally um, it's um yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I don't. I can't think of another movie that kind of represents the devil in the way he is represented in this. Yeah, and that's kind of cool. I quite like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it. I would probably give it three point five axes out of five. Um, I don't think it quite hits a four, um, just because, as I said, like the lapses in logic of the inv the invisible like the invisible force field. I mean, if I'd have thought about that, I might have given it a smaller <laughs> score. But to be honest, like that stuff didn't even hit my brain until you brought it up like I was I think watching it for the first time like I was so focused on what was happening that some of the things that generally might have been quite irritating about it if it was a slower paced movie or if I was watching it again um didn't even register because I was just really enjoying trying to figure out what was going on yeah and I think that's where it does really it really wins is if you are watching it for the first time because you don't have time to pay attention to those little bits that generally will become a niggly, a niggly, a niggly little bit if yeah. um, you're rewatching it because you are so focused on the plot and trying to figure out exactly what is happening. Mm. But I think it's held up well. Like this is the first time I've seen it in ten years. So this is the only second time I've watched it in a decade. And I think it's held up really well over a decade. There are movies of that era that I've rewatched recently that don't hold up as well. Um, Insidious is one of those movies. Insidious d didn't help. I, that came out a, a similar time and it yeah. doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Whereas I think this, because it is so simple and so linear and so in and out, um, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And I think it... it the only thing that I would not recommend it on rewatchability is once you find out the twist, the movie kind of loses a bit of its impact. Yeah, like definitely. Like a lot of those type of movies. Um, it's like slasher movies where you... It's not like a Jason or a Michael where it's like someone who is revealed to be the killer. When you go back and rewatch it with that knowledge, it loses some of the punch because you're aware of 
like like how everybody's like I could only watch the Sixth Sense once I've never thing. seen it because or, you know, I know what the plot yeah. twist is and I don't see the point um, but yeah I think it's a good movie would highly recommend it um, so yeah that's our thoughts on Devil uh, episode 3 what are we going to be just to give people a little bit of a sneak peek what, are we, covering, what are we covering on episode 3 we're going to do Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, boy! Yeah, 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 yeah. So just to pre preempt with this one, it's, it's a movie that I have seen numerous times and I thoroughly enjoy, but I really wanted to cover on the podcast because it is a fun movie and I think it doesn't get the respect it deserves. So, yeah, if you like this, uh, we're, the podcast is currently on... We can be found on Anchor, we can be found on Spotify, Spotify. and we can be found on Pocket Case currently. Although we are working on getting... Pocket, pocket cast. Pocket, pocket cast. cast. We are looking at getting the podcast on a few other places. So by the time this goes out, um, look for us on some other places. But we will provide links um, when this goes out. So yeah, Spotify. Just type into Spotify or Anchor. So I Married a Horror Fan. You'll find us on there. Um, yeah, come, come, you know, find us. Li- listen to the podcast. Uh, we are on Twitter as well at... S A I M F H pod. It's um, a mouthful. Yeah, or just type into tw- Twitter search bar, so I married a horror fan, and you'll find us. Come follow us, come share comments, thoughts. Um, yeah, next next week's episode is going to be on Cabin in the Woods, and then after that, the episode after that, episode four, we're going to be looking at Reanimator. We're going to take it out of the 2010s, we're going to take it back to the 80s, and we're going to be looking at Stuart Gordon's horror classic. Uh, reanimator which so, I've never seen and I'm going to read the short story that it's based on beforehand yeah. so I have a little bit of a grounding in the HP Lovecraftianness of it all so take care of yourselves stay safe and uh, we'll see you in the next one see you next time